0: Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the February issue of the Beef Watch Newsletter titled Sire Selection FAQs. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by a PhD student who's working with Dr. Matt Spangler, Drew LeCamp, who's from Southern Illinois. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, in this article, you highlight some of the frequently asked questions that I frequently get this time of year myself. As we look at the bull sale season, people get sale catalogs in the mail and they open it up and they see the wealth of information that's there. One of the things they start to think about is how do I use this information and then and how do I apply it? And so in this article, you highlight frequently asked questions that often come up. And one of those is how do you combine Thinking about retaining replacement heifers, then also thinking about marketing cattle that are going to go to sale on the rail. There's some tension there at times, and you discussed that in this article.
1: Right. So, yeah, when you talk about balancing uh, maternal and terminal characteristics, that can be hard because even if they're not genetically antagonistic, right, so they don't pull against each other, which sometimes they do, depending on which pair of traits you're talking about, generally they don't really go together, right? And so the best way to, to kind of get your all-around animal, right? If you've got 25 head, you want something that does it all, the best way is to really pick on um, a combined index. So that's Dollar $C for Angus. That's API for Simital. And what those are meant to do is take all those traits together, the maternal and terminal ones, weight them with how much money they are expected to produce or or lose, depending on the trait, and kind of optimize those traits so you get maximum profit.
0: So we think about this, we need to take into account, if we're assuming here that you're selecting for carcass traits, that you're somehow taking those cattle to the rail and going to get paid for that. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So that's that's how, uh, do, let's take Dollar C, for example, that's how Dollar C is is designed it includes things like hot carcass weight marbling uh, ribeye area and if you're not taking those kettle to the rail uh, this might not be the best tool for you but if you are do get a premium or extra money get paid on those carcass characteristics this is what's going to work for you
0: so one of the things that often also gets asked is is there an advantage to me to buying half sib so thinking about going to a bull sale buying maybe three or four bulls sire by the same sire. And then, you know, they're half sibs. Is there an advantage to that in terms of calf uniformity?
1: That's a great question. So the idea, right, is if these two bulls are related and their offspring are more closely related, they should be more uniform in appearance, right? That's the general idea. But it's really hard to determine whether those two bulls that you are buying specifically, how closely related they actually are. On average, they share about 25% of their genes in common. But any pair, any specific pair can share anywhere from zero to 50%, which means that if you're using a set of half-sib bulls and, you, and you're not sure, it's really a gamble whether those calves are getting the same genes or not.
0: So in the article you talk about, really, as you think about looking at bulls that you want to use maybe to try to produce uniformity, thinking about bulls that are common in their EPD values probably gets you closer to that. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So similar EPD profiles are going to push you in a more uniform direction. Uniformity is your goal. Similar EPD profiles are probably going to help you more than any two bulls that are half-sips in particular.
0: Yeah, and as you say that, you know, we think about half sieves, we think about, well, they're they're closely related, but if you think about the the dam side and how variable that can be, and then you just mentioned, you know, on average, 25% of their genetic material is similar. And you think about a bell curve, and of course, in the middle of that bell curve would be the 25%, but on either end we go down to almost zero, and then on the upper end, 50. So there can be quite a bit of variation there.
1: There is definitely a, a huge chunk of variation. There in how closely related any two set of half sibs are. And unless you get them genetically tested and you ask to see how closely related these bulls are on a genetic level, there's really no way of knowing where on that bell curve that pair individual sits.
0: Well, that leads us into the next comment. And I think this is one that we wrestle with now, thinking about genomic information. So we get the genomic information, we've got expected progeny differences, we've got adjusted weaning weights, ultrasound data. There's a lot of data that we look at in a bull sale catalog. And sometimes as you look at the the data from these different, both phenotypic and genetic information sources, they might not always match up and that can cause some confusion. Help us sort through that a little bit. and And what's the information that really gives us the most knowledge in terms of the genetic potential or the genetic breeding value of that animal?
1: Aaron, I got to tell you, this is my favorite question on the article because I go to bull sales myself. I sit down with catalogs. I flip through them. I, I see what what those sellers are put in there, right? And I'll tell you what, it on top of the pictures, it is just a glut of numbers. And then you got footnotes, right? And so how do you sort through all that? And before I started grad school, I could tell you it was hard. But now that I'm further into it and I kind of peek behind the curtain, as they say, the best tool is is going to be your EPD, your expected progeny difference. And the reason I say that is because the EPD, what it really does is it takes in the phenotype or I should say the adjusted phenotype. So that's the phenotype after sex, age, environment, those kinds of things has been accounted for it takes in the genomics if you're do if the breeder is doing that and it takes and if they even if they're not doing genomics it takes in the pedigree so it, once you have everything together that's that's when you get the EPD so they are the the piece of information that ties kind of everything together in a way that balances all those pieces out
0: as we also then think about just uh practicality this time of year many people are starting to think about calving heifers if they're not already and one of the things we continue to look for is how do i minimize calving difficulty what are some tools to think about with with selecting heifers and then also thinking about selecting bulls to use on those heifers
1: one question i when i go out and talk to producers uh One of the things that's on the top of their list is always convenience trades, right? The less that they physically have to do the better. And so calving ease, right? Is going to be usually at the top of their list. I don't want to go out in the middle of, in the middle of the night at 3am when it's pouring down rain and pull a calf. So the best from a genetic standpoint, the best tool to improve your calving ease is going to be the calving ease EPD. And now there's, there's two of them, right? So there's calving ease direct, and that is how, an estimate of how easily a bull's calves will be born when he is bred to heifers. And then there's calving ease maternal, which is an estimate of how easily a bull's daughter will give birth when they have their first calf. So there, So those are two, there's two pieces. There's the direct one, which is about the bull's offspring directly. And then there's the maternal one, which you can think of as how easy are his, how easy is it going to be for his daughter to have a calf when she's a first calf ever? Something else that a lot of people like is, is selecting on that birth weight EPD or birth weight in general. And one piece that you find is when you start digging into the Kevinese the EPDs, is birth weight is included in that EPD already. So selecting on both is gonna is going to put more emphasis on on birth weight than you probably want it to.
0: So Drew, you said we want to be careful if we are thinking about calving ease, if we're selecting for both calving ease direct and for birth weight, uh, we may actually be going too far, I guess. Clarify for us what you're thinking there and help us understand your perspective on that. Sure thing.
1: So since calving ease already includes birth weight, selecting on calving ease and birth weight together, it's kind of like double dipping. And you might be going, like you said, might be going too far in a low birth weight, which is going to impact that calf's weight at weaning and then at yearling and then that final weight, which ultimately might impact your your revenue.
0: One of the other things we frequently see, have seen, I'd say for the last 35 years is a focus on selecting for bulls with larger scrotal circumference. Uh, The thought there was that those bulls are going to be more productive in terms of being breeders. But then also that was a trait that indirectly correlated with heifer fertility. I think we've seen maybe some, oh, I guess tempering to that. But give give some perspective as we think about going out and again selecting a bull. How do we think about scrotal circumference? How do we think about the influence of that on his daughters? Uh, where are we at now in terms of utilizing that data, and how should we approach it?
1: Yeah, so scrotal circumference is something that that we as as producers really like, right? It's easy to measure. It's it's on every bull. Then you can just compare it, right, directly full the bull, to bull at, at a given age. But when you think about it as the the effect that that scroll circumference is going to have on his daughters, there has been some evidence that his daughters are going to reach puberty earlier. Uh, but any more for for those. Non-Endocene breeds, so those European breeds, reaching puberty earlier is not uh, quite the concern that it once was. But as far as fertility, there's not, we don't see much of a relationship between scrotal circumference and heifer pregnancy or sustained fertility in a bull's daughters. So what we r- usually recommend if you're looking to increase fertility, instead of selecting on cr- on squirrel circumference, is selecting on uh, heifer pregnancy. Or a stability EPD. which is going to get you greater female fertility in the long run.
0: Drew, anything else on this topic? Uh, questions you frequently come across as you're going to bull sales and looking at bull sale catalogs? Uh, things you think producers might want to think through as they open those catalogs this year? What's your perspective or anything you'd add to our conversation?
1: Just one thing. Uh, like I said, when I talk to producers, uh, calving ease is usually at the top of their list um they people don't want to go out and bookheads i think we can all agree on that uh, but one thing that i've heard some people much much smarter than me say is when you when you're looking at a bull for calving ease when you're looking at his calving ease epd you need to keep that in perspective of how much dystocia do you already have in your herd so if you have a high incidence of calving difficulty than a higher calving ease bull is probably what you're going to want to look for. But if you're are, but if you're dystocia, right, if you're not pulling calves already and your dystocia is at 0%, so you, so you don't pull any calves, try to look at, maybe look at some other EPDs. So I'm not saying that calving ease is not an important trait, but if you don't have a dystocia problem, that does not need to be your number one concern. That doesn't necessarily need to be at the top of your list when you're picking a ball.
0: Well, Drew, I really appreciate your time today. I think uh, the things we've talked about certainly have value. And I guess to summarize, it seems to me as we open up a bull sale catalog, it's important to understand what are we looking at? What do the numbers mean? Uh, which numbers really have the most value as we think about trying to identify a bull who's going to take us genetically in the direction we want to go. And what I've heard from you is expected progeny differences really are still the best tool. Genomics allow us to enhance those to have greater accuracy uh, than we've had in the past. But then also, as you think about breeding objectives, be careful that you're not going too far. Uh, When you're on target, staying where you're at is a good place to be and uh, going further may not be to your advantage. But uh, Absolutely. Anything else to add, Drew, as we point towards wrapping up? Nope. Just uh, go out there, find the bull that works for your operation, and and take him home. Well, for more information on genetic selection and understanding EPDs and the tools that we can use for selecting beef cattle, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, we have additional information on this topic.